Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. For years now, social media influencers have been partnering with brands to help them market and generate lots of sales. But now we're seeing a new trend emerge, with influencers growing their own personal brand to the point that they are becoming brands themselves. Our next guest is a perfect example of that. Her name is Elle Ferguson, and she's got more than 650,000 followers on Instagram. Wow, that's a lot. Known as a fashion icon in Australia and the world, when she announced that she'd be launching a new business called Elle Effect in 2018, hardly anyone expected it would be a range of tanning products. I want to ask Elle how having an understanding, an intimate understanding of her followers and her community and what they wanted has led her down the tanning industry path. In other words, where was the demand coming from? How did she work it out? And what sets her products apart from the many other tanning products on the market? And the importance of being reactive in business and, of course, how she's developed her own personal brand. It's going to be an interesting discussion. So let's get into it. Elle Ferguson, welcome to The Mentor. Hi, thank you for having me. And straight off a flight, are you? Yes, where, yes. Where you been? Where you been? I have just been in Miami and LA. And what are you doing over there? So in Miami, I shot my third collection with Billabong, which was amazing because it's my third global collection with Billabong, which is just insane because they've never kind of done a collab with an influencer before, and this is my third one with them. So th- this is you in the capacity as an influencer, or this is you in the capacity of selling your tanning products? This is me as Elle Ferguson, so an Elle influencer. Ferguson. I, yeah. As an influencer, okay. Yeah. So I, I want to... Whilst wearing the Elle Effect tan. Oh, so you it want all to bet you. goes together. You had an opportunity, you might as well you know, <laughs> ramp it up. So, okay, so I, I want to just talk to you a little bit about who Well Ferguson is, yep. and I want to go back a little bit. Clearly, you've put yourself in a position as being an influencer, and I want to talk to you, and our audience wants to hear how the hell you become one of these people. Mm-hmm. What's it take? How the hell do you, how do you get 650,000 followers? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big deal, how long it took to do that. And then how you parlay that into a business called the L Effect. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to when L was at school. Yep. What was the deal? You're from Sydney? What's Tell me no, about it. No, so I'm from the Central Coast, so that's about two hours from Sydney, and I auditioned for a performing arts high school in Sydney, and I was the youngest student to ever audition and get into Newtown High School of the Performing Arts. So what is a performing arts school? So a performing arts, Newtown was, um, it wasn't private because there's a lot of privately funded performing arts high schools, but this was a public school, which a certain percentage of students that attended the school were selective. So it also sat as an area school, which, you know, in hindsight was amazing because it was such a cross culture of kids that you got to grow up with and experience. But I auditioned because one of my teachers in primary school said, 
she just doesn't fit in the box. Do you know what I mean? She loves uh, in your your school at, in the Central Coast. Yeah, it's a little um, yeah, coastal. I know the joint. Yeah, little coastal beach um, school. I was school captain, so I was always kind of um, striving and achieving. But I did the audition and I got in and it was a two and a half hour commute from Terrigal to Newtown. And I did that every single day from year seven to year 12. And uh, yeah. How the hell did you get to from, I wouldn't even know how to get it to from Terrigal It was a bus, uh, a train, Newtown. a train, a bus and a walk. Wow. And my mum caught the train, did the commute with me for the first term of year seven because I was 12. And then I did it, um, yeah, all the way through to year 12. And then ironically, I went to university as well and commuted as well. So From Terrigal? Yeah. Did so you ever I, think to yourself, maybe I should move a little bit closer? I should have worked the- for the STA Travel or City Rail because I knew that timetable like the back of my head. But now that I um, I work, I look back on that and think it, it engraved, it like put something in me that I knew that if I wanted it, I had to work for it. So I wanted to go to that school so badly because it was amazing. You know what I mean? It was one of a kind and just the people that were at that school were so, I, they were, it was just so amazing. Like I felt like I could be me, you know what I mean? If you wanted to dance. What does that mean performing arts school? I'm not, I don't know what they drama, are. Drama, so. dance and visual arts. But do you do focus. English and maths and yep, science you as do well? all of that. And yep. then after hours you stay back and you do um, – Drama. Or so dance. it's like those um, selective or what Imagine do you call glee them? Or fame. sport schools, but they just do extra sport. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. So what did you what did you audition for? Like what did you do? Did you I do a dance or something? Or yeah, dance and drama, and then I did dance and drama through till year ten, and then I dropped dance because I just it, it, I didn't like it as much, and then I continued drama all the way through, as well as all my normal subjects that you sit for your HSC. Yeah, drama as in acting. Yes. Yeah, and. Uh, when you went to university, what did you do at university? I studied, I began with visual merchandising. And which then, means? Which visual merchandising is, um, it's like a design course, which is a lot to do with stores and how you, like marketing, like their windows and their campaigns and things like that. I did 12 months of that and I realized that I loved interior design and architecture. So then I did an audition for Enmore Design Center where I had to sit a test and then submit a portfolio of designs. And then I got selected and went into that to Enmore and Design Center and I did that for five years. And, and, and designing what, interiors? Yeah, so interiors. So you, you could do interior decoration or you could do interior design and architecture. And I was really into the buildings and how buildings were built. And I used to love to hand draft and renderings and just how things got put together and how. And then there was a whole part of that course that was like on ergonomics of, you know, the space you need for a balcony and the shadow that that balcony gives to the building downstairs and, you know, the buildings in the city, the shadow cast. It was real. I found it really, really interesting. And so so, so what that tells me, though, is um, you, from an early age, you had a creative um a streak in you, which is, I guess, lots of people have a desire to be creative, but not many people actually can draw. Because when you say rendering, you're talking about drawing. Yeah. So, but I couldn't draw, like I can't draw, but rendering was very much done by, it was like line drawing. So it wasn't freehand. It was all very by your, um, you drafted, it was hand, it was lines. You know what I mean? It was all in perspective. So there was No, I don't science. know. So. Sorry. There was a science behind it. So right. you, it's not like I'm going to go draw a tree. If I'm going to draw a building, then I've got to do, I've got to use my scale ruler and I've got to draw. It's all very methodical. Like it's all very by the book. It's not as free. And right, I right. think that's what I realized that it wasn't free and I didn't want to color inside the lines. So I, I got to the end of the course and I was like, I don't think I want to like color inside the lines anymore. So, so cause I, I'm actually intrigued. Um, so 
Would you describe yourself as a creative person? Yes, yeah. 100%. So, it, and does that mean that um, you're always sort of dreaming of and or rendering in your brain, in your mind, in your imagination, um, scenes and or just using your imagination to create things in your mind and it doesn't necessarily flow down to your hand. Yes. But you know what you love or what you like to see or you, the way you want something to look. Yes, is that, is that, 100%. That's, that's, and is it always or is it just about, uh, was it just about interiors or is it about lots of different things? No, it was always, I think it, for me, it always kind of came back to fashion and beauty. So I remember going to... Um, design school and everybody kind of wore black, you know, like that was the, to fit in, you wore black and I never wore black. I rocked up in, you know, denim skirts and like bright colored tees and I'd had my hair done and I just didn't fit the mold of that design student. I remember my um, drafting teacher grabbing my hand because I had acrylic nails on, which are fake nails for people that don't know, grabbing my hand and said, you can't do this course with those nails. And I was like, well, I'm going to do the course with the nails. And I did the course with the nails and I topped my class. So I feel like I never fit the mould when I was at design school, but I didn't let it bother me. And I think that's how I've kind of gone through life. I never really fit the mould of what somebody thinks you should be. Because, I mean, I guess that that thought process has had some impact on your success as an influencer and also your success in the L effect. And I guess to some extent too that families who see their kids just a little bit on the edge, not conforming at least, and also at the same time prosecuting the thing that they believe in, which is clearly what you did. You know, you just gave an example of nails, but I'm sure that there are broader, deeper examples than yes. that where you've actually prosecuted something you believe in, which someone has told you you probably shouldn't do or can't do. Yes. Um, and then what's really good about this is your parents probably encourage, or at least your mum in this case, from what you're saying, encourage you to go to this school. Um, you know, she, yep. encouragement means actually putting your shoulder behind it and actually going to school with you for the first time oh, on, yeah. the, on the train, the bus and every other yep. thing. So how important is that in terms of the formation of L Ferguson? So how, how important was your mum's push, your mum's encouragement to get to where you are today? I mean, what do you think in those formative years? And I, and I don't mean the years from zero to seven. I'm talking about the years from 15 to 20 yeah, I think, well, I mean, huge. I mean, my mum always said I could do whatever I wanted to do. And she, as long as I didn't break the rules, but she, and I behaved myself and I had manners, she was behind me 100%. Yeah, but there are lots of people say that to their kids. You can do whatever you want. I mean, that, no, but that, she turned up. Like, okay, that's, that's the, the difference. difference. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, and the difference was, did, what did you, when she stopped turning up, what did she do then? I mean, why didn't you just say, oh, fuck it, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wag or I'm going to go and have a smoke at the tra- on the train in Newtown or I'm going to go, instead of going left, I'm going to go right. Yeah. And then I'll, go, I'll just go down the beach. Yeah. What was it in you that kept you doing it? Well, because I wanted to succeed. And I think I, because I saw how much my mum had put into me, you know what I mean? Every morning she got up with me at 5am and made me breakfast. So I ate breakfast before I got on the train and she packed my lunch. And I knew what she'd put in. She worked two jobs so I could go and do things. Do you know what I mean? I remember... I don't want to disappoint her, you know what I mean? So I guess that's why I turned right instead of turning left and I didn't wag and I didn't do any of that because I wanted to make her proud, you know what I mean? And in that, I wanted to make myself proud. So how do you, okay, so you, and I get that. Um, So, you know, because it's, it's a fine line between tipping over the edge yep. and uh, continuing on your path, especially when you're 18 and you're out of, and you're, you're from Central Coast, you're from Terrigal. Yeah. You're in the city. Yep. Now in Sydney. Yep. It's a different environment. Crazy, And yes. not only were you in the city, you were in a, um, a school where, you, you know, where you're probably going to get people who are outside 
the normal school mould. Yep. Um, you know, you're going to get a few um, unusual people there yep. because they're creative people, which, I mean, I shouldn't say that. It sounds like a, no, it was amazing. a broad statement, but I mean, no. it is the case. Yeah. I mean, we had, I remember in my sister's year, we had a guy start in year seven and by year 12, that guy had, had, had turned into a woman and, and we accepted it. It was amazing. And I mean, I was, we were 13, but it was incredible to be exposed to this at such a young age because you could be whatever you wanted to be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. the school was amazing. And, and how did you then, so, okay, you've gone through design school. Mm-hmm. How'd you get into becoming an influencer? I mean, how, how, what, give me, take a me down that track. Hustle. There's a lot of side hustle. Yeah. Well, tell me about the hustle. So yeah. you, you've, you finished this school in Enmore. Yeah. It was so five years. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah. what happens when you come out of there? What job do you go and get? Well, so funnily enough, at my end of year, you do an end of year exhibition that you're open to the industry and industry can walk through and look at your end designs and you hope at that point somebody within the industry is going to offer you a job. And randomly a girl walked through that worked for One Teaspoon, a fashion label company. Um, clothing. Clothing, yeah. She walked through and kind of saw a bit of flair in my my renderings, my my thing. And she said, hey, there's a job going at One Teaspoon for a visual merchandiser. And I yeah, said, well, yeah. you'll never believe this. I actually studied VM, visual merchandising, for 12 months before I transferred to interior design. And so I went and did the interview at One Teaspoon in Redfern in a place that was called The Pink Factory, which was all women. And they were making this incredible brand called One Teaspoon. And it was before that had blown up. And these were the days before the OC when Misha Barton wore One Teaspoon on the show. It was just at the beginning of when it was about to explode. And I walked in there and I was like, oh, my God, I want to be part of this world. This world is amazing. What do I need to do to be part of this? And they offered me a horrendous wage. And horrendously I, good or horrendously bad? Horrendously bad. Like I was still living at home and commuting from the Central Coast to go to Redfern. I remember one day I had to be there at 4 a.m. and I was on a 117 train from Gosford to get there to do a shoot. But I wanted the job and I wanted to work for one teaspoon. So I started there and then I went into Somebody had seen my work at One Teaspoon from General Pants, which is another clothing label, and I got asked to do an interview to become the women's uh, women's head of women's visual merchandising for the company. At General Pants? At General Pants, yeah. And then I sat for that interview and I got that job. And then I left One Teaspoon and went into General Pants and that was just a whole world of amazingness. And that is where... Can I ask you a question? Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at you and uh, and you're an attractive looking girl, Thanks. lady. How important does that play in getting yourself to stand out amongst the crowd? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, fashion's... If you can carry fashion yourself, mm-hmm. that helps. Yeah. I mean, do you think that's an important thing? I mean, I'm not, because I will talk about that when it comes to Instagram. Yeah. I think think it's important in Instagram. I think I'd always, ever since I was a kid, I'd always gone with the motto, you've got to dress for the job that you have. Mm. Not You've got to dress for the job that you want, not the job that you have. Or just present for the job. Yeah. That's everything. That's not just the dress. That's the hair, the everything. Oh, the whole package. Because I think, um, I mean, you set the tone. You set, you know, like before you've ever met me and said hello, you've already made a judgment. So... I would always make sure when I went to those interviews, I was the best possible version of myself. And I mean, I didn't have a lot of money. I remember the dress that I wore for my job interview at General Pants was 50 cents from Salvo's, but I'd cut it up and put it together differently. But I had that dress on. And I remember the owner of General Pants said to me, where is that dress from? And I said it was 50 cents and I cut it up and put it back together so it looked good. And it Yeah, but I mean, I could tip rubbish over. You're still going to look good. Um, So like... (laughs) 
I mean, um, I, well, I, I mean, I, I think it's important. I mean, I think it's an yeah, important but issue. Was, but we yeah. need to we need to think about this. I mean, because you know, people are going to say, "Oh, well," I know people say this. I, don't, I I've never looked at your Instagram before today. Okay, yeah. but I know people say this. Oh, well, she's good looking and blah blah blah, and uh, you know, of course, she's got so many followers. Well, mm-hmm. I'm trying to defeat that. Okay, yeah. so and or or reconcile it. Yes. So and it's, I want to know how would you reconcile that? I mean, not not so much on Instagram, but just going through life being an attractive woman mm-hmm. in the fashion industry, mm-hmm. how do you reconcile that as an advantage? Because I think it is an advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, and how did you work it? I mean, there's nothing wrong with using your assets, you know, yeah, whether but... it's – I and mean, I'm not just saying you're just that, no. but I just let's clear that one out of the way now because I know people will be critical. Yes. Well, they still are. So how do we deal with it? Yeah, well, I think it's actually been harder to be blonde and six foot and walk into a room and try to prove yourself than not being blonde and six foot. I reckon personally I've had it a lot harder because I've had to go, I've had to prove myself twice as hard. When I was at General Pants, which I loved and is still part of my DNA, the majority of people I worked with were men and I had to prove myself to men. I would rock up at work sites and have to say, like, don't think I'm here legally blonde. I'm actually here and I'm the boss, so you need to listen to me. So I actually think, yeah, I might have got my foot in the door maybe, but then I've had to work twice as hard for what I've had. But then when you do that, what you just said, um, work twice as hard and also deliver quality output, Mm -hmm. and if you're attractive, actually you get double, 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 so you double them down. So in other words... You go, wow, she's pretty smart yeah. and she knows how to work and she's committed. Mm-hmm. And because before that, they were judging you as, yeah. let's call it a dumb blonde or yeah. whatever. What did you say? Legally, Legally blonde. Legally blonde, yeah. That, that's a movie, is it? Yeah, it's Elle Woods. Okay, right, okay. So, yeah, so what you did is you um, played it. I mean, because you, you're obviously confident enough that you can work hard. You know yeah. how to work hard because you just did it when you were at school. You mm-hmm. just spent five five years or something like yeah. that. So you knew. It, and I knew I sold what I, I mean, at General Pants, it all came down to numbers. And I knew what I would do in those stores would sell. So you know what I mean? And they like, got a good product. Yeah, great product. Yeah. But even when the product wasn't good, I could make it work. Mm. And that was one of my really good skills there that I used to say I could sell ice to Eskimos. So what do you say is, so, I mean, you've had this experience going from, you know, and I think it's a great experience going to that school. I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm not sure in terms of the product of the school, but I'm just getting from Terry Hall to school yes. every day and mixing with those sorts yep. of people. And the, you obviously got some skills around um, merchandising. Yep. Um, you have good experience in terms of fashion. You went and worked at General Pants and, yep. and, and after the first job you worked at, what was the first place called? One Teaspoon. One Teaspoon. You have to pardon me because I'm, I don't okay. know the brand, but General <laughs> Pants I do know. And then you, you stayed General Pants for a period of time. So yes. you've obviously, what skills do you think you got at that point? Where, where, apart from knowing how to work hard, Yep. apart from understanding fashion merchandising or merchandising mm-hmm. in general, mm-hmm. what other skills do you think you got out of it? What do you, would you say you were strong at? Um, at that point with General Pants, we focused so much on the customer and what the customer wanted. And General Pants was also very reactive. So if we saw trends coming through, we had to react to it. Pre-Instagram. Pre-Instagram. So you're talking about when I was at General Pants, blogs were starting. So there were no blogs in Australia. There was very few. It was overseas that we'd look at. So there was a lot of the Swedish girls. Yeah, the Swedish girls, the London girls, the American girls. And this whole, the thing that I learned the most at General Pants was, is that you could just, you could change. You know what I mean? Like we would change things. You could just, you could be reactive. You could, you know, like hang something from the ceiling. But where'd you get the data? 
Because today data, we get the data immediately, but where'd you get the data on those The data days? was from our sales reports. Every Monday we would do a two-hour meeting and we would go line for line, store for store, what's working, the sell-through on windows. So in my department you would put a window in for four weeks and then you would need to know the return on those items in the window plus the investment of the window. So we'd do a sales meeting every Monday. Which is the sort of stuff we do when we analyse our data that comes through on our social media, yes. et cetera, right? Yes. But, but just a different platform or different protocol today, but, it but it's time. the same deal. It yes. took a lot of time and yes. took a lot of effort. So, yes. but it, And it required you to sit down and actually analyse yeah. the data, grab the data, analyse the data, and, and then make a decision. You and know, there was a department head for every pretty much category, women's bottoms, women's tops, women's accessories, you know, like, so there were a lot of people and you couldn't, I couldn't access that data myself. I would have to go and email somebody or ask somebody and then get it for that Monday meeting. So how did you then take all of that and become someone who's a fashion influencer? So whilst I was at General Pants, I started a side hustle, which was known as They All Hate Us, which was a blog. And it purely started as a montage of images that inspired me. You know what I mean? I had covered walls at General Pants with pictures. And then once I covered all of the walls, I needed somewhere to house these pictures. And it was when blogs were kind of bubbling at the surface, but we didn't really know what they were. And it was literally a place to put images for people to look at because in my department being visual, people would come to me and go, hey, you know, how should I style a white T-shirt? And I'd be like, oh, well, look up on that board. There's a girl that's tied it and ripped it. Let's try it like that. So They All Hate Us started. And then from They All Hate Us, Instagram kind of came alive and people wanted to know who was behind They All Hate Us. So Instagram kind of popped up. And it's so funny because I actually had a BlackBerry. I wasn't even on an iPhone. I loved a BlackBerry because I could do my emails and I could look at Excel. It was, I was a BlackBerry person and refused to go to an iPhone. And my sister said, there's this really cool thing called Instagram on iPhones. And I was like, okay. And she was like, it's where you can take photos of yourself and put up photos. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I swapped over and got an iPhone and I didn't actually understand how Instagram worked at that point. I gave myself a name called Black Nightingale because I liked a Black Nightingale handbag. I didn't understand what it was when I started it. And then I quickly changed my name to Elle Ferguson and then started posting photographs of myself of what I'd wear to work. And I was against a wall at work where I literally took my outfit of the day and then all of a sudden, I just started getting this traction and it started to grow and grow. How many years ago is that? Five. Five years ago. Yeah. So, so you, would, you, would it be fair to say you got in early? Yes, that, 100%. That's, that's pretty important, isn't it? Yeah, I think where it is now is, and I look at my community and a lot of my community has really been with me from the beginning and seen the journey. And I think that's what works about my story is because people have been with me since I took those photos against the wall at work you know what I mean and they've been part of everything and they've seen they've invested in me Well, here in the studio with me today is Matt Holland from Mentor.Business and um, Matt is going to give us an update as to what they are showcasing this week in terms of businesses for sale. What do you got, Matt? Thanks, Mark. Uh, interesting one is Sydney-based, a Sydney-based business. It's a storage business, something new. We haven't done uh, anything in the storage industry before. And I know it's a very popular industry. Yeah, it's, it's one of the mobile storage businesses that um, essentially just drops off a, a trailer. You fill up the trailer, they'll come and pick it up and take it into the storage. Okay, so it's effectively storage coming to you. And so you, all you do is have to cart it out of your house, put it into the into the box, which sits on a trailer. They come pick up the trailer, they go and unpack it, and they put it in a storage place where you don't even have to travel to. Absolutely. Is it um, 
postcoded or is it just a Sydney-wide thing? Sydney-wide, uh, Central Coast, uh, you know, literally anywhere in uh, Sydney. And what's our vendor looking for? Is he looking to sell or to get a partner or what's his deal? Yeah, look, this vendor um, has got a, a good uh, business already, uh, you know, not, not associated to this, but he had storage. So what he did two years ago, he went into this and he's, he's put about $300,000 into this and he's got a great starting point. So really he's looking for a partner to come in and help him finish that off. It really needs somebody day-to-day in the business. So he needs, um, he needs bench strength, hands on deck, and probably even a little bit of capital always helps. So that business is for sale. If you're looking to buy a business, in fact, if you want to sell a business, or you're just thinking about starting up one, go to mentor.business. And if you want to reach out to someone, contact Matt Holland at mentor.business. Thanks, Matt. See Thanks, you next Mark. week, mate. Thanks, Mark. So I'm back with Elle Ferguson, and we just covered off her early years. And because so, what I'm trying to drive it is here is how to what skills that she brings, and what skills did she learn, and, and what experiences did Elle get that actually helped her become an influencer. She's clearly an influencer on Instagram today. Um, I guess Facebook's not not something you don't deal with. It's, no, I don't have it, Facebook. Okay, well, it's pretty much older generation these days, which relative, it's all relative, but relative yeah. to you at least. So one of the things I know about Instagram is that it's helpful if you get in early. In other words, four or five years ago. I mean, mm-hmm. how important do you think that is today, given that everyone's trying to do what you've done? Okay. I think it's funny because I was having this conversation. I was just in LA and I thought to myself, if I needed to launch a brand today, how would I do it? You know what I mean? And make my, my, my voice heard on Instagram. And I would go to somebody like myself with a big following and a brand that people trust. And I... I think it would be really hard to flick the switch on without the help of another influencer to launch a brand now. Collaborate with somebody else. Yeah. Who has a following. Yeah, because, I mean, at the end of the day, that following is their brand and and that community trusts that brand. So if you're going to stand there and tell me, you know, buy this glass of water and I trust you and I trust your brand, chances are I'm going to buy that glass of water and I'm going to invest in that glass of water and maybe follow that glass of water because I trust you. So it's kind of, um, I think that's the only way you could actually launch a brand new brand tomorrow unless you were a Kardashian and you could turn that switch on straight away. So, how, okay, then and the obvious question, because there's lots of people listening to this who want to launch a brand and uh, the obvious question is, well, okay, how does Elle Ferguson, how do they get to talk to Elle Ferguson then? Let's say I've got, um, well, probably not the right person, but let's say uh, I've got a, a water business that I, you know, a bottle of water. There's a lot water of water going on between us. There's yeah. a glass of water. There's a water business. No, yeah, let's, let's just say I've got a bottle of water down and a, a water bottling business, but mm-hmm. it's not plastic. It's something else. So I was going to say, is it paper? Is it sustainable? And it's plastic. And, well, it's not plastic. It's, I don't know what it is. It's glass okay. or something. Yes. Returnable glass. But I'm getting it from Tasmania mm-hmm. and it's uh, not coming out of a spring as rainwater. So I'm actually harvesting rainwater. But I mm-hmm. think, how the hell am I going to get this out to the public? Mm-hmm. I think I might go to El Ferguson because, you know, she's got to be following. Mm-hmm. So what do I do? I ring you up. How do I find you? No, so the amazing thing that I find with social media is there's no barriers. There's no boundaries. You so can literally DM you. You DM me. And there's something that I do. I'm going to regret saying this on here, but I answer every single I was going to say, do you look at all your direct messages? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I've realized a long time ago that answering those DMs is like emails. It's work for me. So in the morning when I get up, I always allocate at least an hour to go through. Then I touch base again at the middle of the day and then at the end of the day. And I reply to every single DM. And I think that's part of my strength as a brand because I've worked with so many incredible brands and a lot of them have come through direct messages. Um, If I can't answer something, then I pass it on to my manager 
my manager's details are in my profile. If you want to reach out through there, um, then on L Effect, you can reach out through that. So actually we live in a time now where you can touch points with people are so much easier than it was before. I remember when I tried to get my foot in the front door at General Pants, I had to go through somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody. Now you can just send that direct message and so, it's constant. So well, that's an important, it's an important question, but it's an important answer because most people just assume you um, they have to go through your publicist or they have mm-hmm. to find you somehow, mm-hmm. you know, come through this program or whatever mm-hmm. because most people assume that people who are as effective as you don't answer their direct messages. Yeah, well, well, don't even look at them. No, and I think that's an assumption that, you know, can bite you in the butt because it's not the truth. How and, many would you get? It? I mean, how many DMs would you get? Um, oh, hundreds, thousands. Yeah. And, but it's like, it, it, it really truly is to me, it's like email. Mm. And I, about four years ago, I met Jen Akin, who is the founder of The Way, a hair care brand. And she's also a big part of the Kardashians, um, keeping up with the Kardashians and things like that. And she'd reached out to me on direct message and I thought it was a fake account, but we ended up meeting. It was great. And I said to her, do you answer every single one of your DMs? And she said to me, yes, of course, it's work. And ever since that point, four years ago, I've answered every single DM. What about the weird ones? Because I get some weird ones. They just get a love heart. That's yeah. it. Oh, you answer it. Yeah, okay. I, th- I just, and if it's really wrong, then it's a block and delete. Yeah, but, yeah. And again, that's, you know, I have the power, which yeah. is fabulous. So that, that's what happens when you're in the business of being an influencer. But, and that's, I think people need to understand this. It's mm-hmm. a, you just can't become an influencer like that. I mean, it takes a lot of time and effort and a lot yeah. of thought process. And we're going to talk yeah. about having a story. But yeah. when you become an influencer, you're in the business of being an influencer. So therefore, you have to do all those things of being in business requires and that means answering all your direct messages. Yeah, well essentially they're my customer. Yeah. So and essentially they're that community is why I'm here. That community is that number is the reason that I am successful. You know what I mean? So I I get random messages. I'll have somebody say something to me like I saw you shopping, there was a water bottle behind your head. Do you remember what brand that was? And I always answer because I think of it like I don't know if that person that asked me that question will essentially ending up being a customer on L Effect one day or they might work for some big company they're going to have me in as an ambassador and they'll be like, you know what, L replied to me on DM. So I always believe that you've got to set that tone. You know what I mean? It's it, it's your calling card. It's your profile. Well, that's using your work ethic that, you're, that you've developed as a student get, catching the train and the bus and the train and the bus. I mean, that's just transferring it into your own business. Mm-hmm. So- in terms of attracting an audience, in other words, getting people to follow you, building a community, my view is, you, you know, you just can't be wearing a nice dress or something, that's not just, I mean, I'm sure you do wear good shoes and things like that. People think, wow, where do you get those shoes from? But how do you build your story? Tell us about how important it is to have the L Ferguson story. Yeah. And what is it? So I think it's authentic. I think you need to be really true to your brand. Right back when I started taking those photos against the wall at work, I had, it was me. Like I wore denim shorts pretty much every single day of the week. And I did it for no other reason, but I love denim shorts and I could climb up a ladder at work in denim shorts. And then all of a sudden I kind of became the girl that always wore the denim shorts and she always had a curled blonde hair. So without actually knowing it, I was building my brand because I was consistent and I was authentic. And over time, 
I I started to get like articles written about me, you know, that I was wearing the denim shorts and I was tonging the blonde hair, but without knowing it, I'd built this brand. And in this brand, I had certain things that people would see a photo and they might not know like my name, but they kind of would be like, oh, that's that Aussie girl from Sydney. You know what I mean? So it, it, I think it's so important if you're building your Instagram or building, you know, your social platform that you're authentic. And if I ask you to say, give me say three words that best described your brand. Let's mm-hmm. not talk about L effect for the mm-hmm. moment. Your Instagram, your L Ferguson brand. What are three words? Authentic, genuine. Same. No, I know. I'm like, do you know if you, I think it's a feel good space. Do you know what I mean? Like I know now I'm giving you many words. That's okay. Feel good's a word. And it's Australian. I'm very, you know, I travel the world and I've been really um, fortunate that, my platform, social platform transcends and it's, it's Aussie. They love that Aussie feel good laid back vibe that, that I have. I mean, we've got brands like Spell, for example, that's the same sort of vibe they're giving out. Well, I think they're very, um, in the boho niche. Yeah, but it's very Aussie. Yeah, but it's one part of Aussie. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I, I think they do Byron Bay exceptionally well and they represent Australia, but there's a niche that I think they sit in. And I think I'm very lucky that I can wear the boho dress one day, but then I can wear a suit the next day. And I mean, how hard do you sit around thinking about this Aussie brand in order for you to express it? I mean, like I, I, I couldn't, I mean, I just tried then. I said, I come out with Spell and you actually defeated me very quickly by saying it just fitted into one niche of the Aussie brand. I, I know that's right when you explained it to me. Um, how hard and often do you sit around thinking about how do I express the Aussie brand as L mm-hmm. and does, it evo- does that brand evolve? Has the Aussie brand evolved? Yeah, 100%. I think for me the ocean is a big thing and I think when you look at, I always try to shoot near the ocean or show the ocean because when you travel the world you realise that Australia has the best beaches in the universe and, and nothing ever captures what we have Maybe here. Maybe the only beaches in the universe. Yeah, true. <laughs> this is true. But then with saying that, because I always show the ocean, what you think, and the beach, then you think of golden skin. And then from golden skin, you think tanned. Okay, take and, me there. Yeah. Go on, you good I, girl. I'm, wow. I'm, <laughs> we want to swap positions. Okay, take me there. Take me there. I'm take there. Me there. See, do I it, got do you it. there on the beaches. Go on, go on. And tanning. Yeah, Come on. And tanning. But, so tell me about that. Yeah. So is, was that the light that came on, like when you were – There were lots of lights that went on. There were lots of fairy lights. I think what happened um, with me was my brand became alive and there were things with the brand, L Ferguson, there were three kind of touch points that always were brought up in conversation when you described L Ferguson. And for that was tanned, denim shorts and blonde hair. That's Aussie. Yeah. I mean, it is, you know. And then I was lucky enough to work with you know, the leaders of the tanning game. So as an influencer, as Elle Ferguson, and being on that side of the talent, spruiking the product, I, I, they were coming to me to sell their product. And, and you know, I, I learned what their product was and where it sat and whom, who I was speaking to in my audience uh, for that product. And, and you were I, getting paid for this. I was getting paid yeah, for it yep. and I knew the talent fee that I was getting paid. And then by chance, I got told how many units were sold off one of my posts. And when I converted that to my talent fee, I was like, 
Like, yeah. no, yeah. this is, I'm being... Oh, more money or... Yeah, or I'm yeah. completely being underestimated for my power of selling this product. Yep. So I kind of sat on that for a while and I did a bit of travel and I was over in LA with Jen Akin again from The Way and I was shooting her campaign and I was sitting with a whole lot of women, female founders of beauty companies, and they were all talking about just learnings. There was one woman um, from KNC Beauty that had seen had been to Japan and had seen a machine that made these silicone masks that you put on your lips and nobody was doing them in the United States. And I just loved these chain of thoughts that these women were having. And it was at the point where everybody and anybody was an influencer. That was like the name that people were using for this job. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm so much more than just an influencer. I am a brand. Do you know what I mean? And these big brands are coming to me to work with me and to listen to me, to tell them how to market their product and how to, you know, what you should do. And I thought to myself, why aren't I doing this for myself? You know, like this is my moment. This is right now. I'm at this point of time where I'm my own boss I make my own money. I'm my, my savings are my savings. Where I want to put my savings, why don't I give this a shot? And I thought to myself, you know what? I am going to make a tan. Like, and 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 it was a real light bulb moment. And and tell me about it. Like, so how'd you do that? I mean, making a tan, I wouldn't have a clue. But no, like, it took a while. Did it? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Look, it was interesting. I back to the Australian thing. I really wanted to be Australian owned and Australian made, and it was something that I really, really wanted when I embarked on the L effect. So I came back to Australia and I sought out chemists in Australia that could make tans. And I emailed and I rang. Um, I pretty much knocked on their doors and they would not have a meeting with me for a year and a half. I could get on, I couldn't get in to have a discussion about a product for a year and a half. And what I had learned in all my previous work was I needed to be reactive and the time was now. So that made me go overseas to California and find a chemist. And I said, can, I, can, can we start a discussion to make a tan? And they said, yes. Um, still in that moment, I still wanted to be Australian made. So I went to a couple of tanning companies in Australia and I said, can you help me get into your chemist? And they were like, no. And then I was like, could I buy some white label product off you to get into the chemist? To in other start words, someone else's their, their product would put your name on it. Yes, because I right then I knew how quickly I had to get to market because I there was this shift happening with these influencers that were working for big brands and they were making their brands themselves real life. And I knew I wanted to be part of this forefront. And I was like, if I could get this white label product, I'd have a product on the shelf out to market within like three months. So I, I went and asked and they, everybody wanted to put their name with my name. I couldn't have my name just on the bottle. Yeah, co-branding. Yeah. And Which in is that, a punish. You don't want to do that. No, I was like, my platform's yeah. bigger than your platform. Yeah. This isn't what it's about for yeah. me. So then I spoke to the chemist in um, LA and that's where the discussion started. And I was, you know, a good year and a half of back and forth samples, things I didn't like. What's my point of difference? How can I do this? And 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 that's where it started. Tell me about your product. Tell me about the L effect. So the L product. effect tanning mousse. Is not the that I not that I know much about tanning mousse. You look mousses. like you're wearing it. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good call, but no, I'm not. Um, so the L effect. It doesn't have that smell that girls get when they put the tan. No, so that's our point of difference. Okay, my cool. So okay, because yes. I can't stand that smell. I have no. smelled it. I hate it. No. Um, so tell I me about it. Need to get you a bottle. No, I don't. I don't, I don't wear it. I'm talking about someone else who wore it once in my life. <laughs> And I used to cut, couldn't stand it's a that biscuity smell. smell. It's not a good smell, oh, but okay. um, 
What's unique about what? What is it about your product that's cutting through? Apart yeah. from the fact that you're you're promoting it. And yeah. Look, it. the number one factor would be the smell. So yep. when I first started, I remember thinking. I remember walking into like chemist warehouse and standing at the wall of tans and the going, wall of tans. Yeah, is there such a place? Yeah. There, well, there's just you know there's an aisle with self tanning and there's hundreds of tans. And sounds I, like a pilgrimage anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's just down the road. Yeah. Um, and I looked at it and I was like, oh, goodness, there's so many. Like, what is the point of difference? Do you know what I mean? Like, what's going to make mine stand out? And a big thing was the smell. And so, Or the I, lack of smell or a different smell. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is a lot of tans try to mask the smell. So it's still got that biscuity, tanny smell under it. But I really worked with the chemist to add essential rose oil that not only hydrates the skin, but it, the smell's not there. So all you smell is roses when you put the tan on the elephant. And, and, and I mean, like, you know, this I, I know this guy's, well, his old girl, ex-girlfriend yeah. used to have a, a tent and she used to take oh, around yeah. people's houses and spray yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, is it better than a spray tan or is it, I mean, a, a, do you put it on yourself? How does it work? Yeah, so it's a self-tanner. So it's a mousse. Yeah. Um, and then I did a mousse because I ship globally and most countries have laws against taking aerosols into the country. So by doing a mousse, because I, I knew my audience is L Ferguson, I needed to be able to sell to the rest of the world. So I went with a mousse. The mousse goes on wonderfully. It's a super velvety lightweight mousse that dries super quick. Another big factor is that it dries so quickly that you don't have transfer onto your clothes. What about getting all over your hands and stuff No, like we that? have an application mitt that is the L Effect applicator mitt. Of course mitt. you do. Yes, of course you do. I mean, the mitt's a funny story. I started with one mitt. I, lo- I thought I loved it. It was the mitt that I really invested in. Then I went to the consumer. I had feedback from the consumer. They did not like that mitt. It didn't have a thumb hole. Um, so I went back to the drawing board and worked with the manufacturer to get a really luxe mitt with a thumb hole. For example, myself, I don't reuse my mitt where a lot of other people do. They need to be able to wash it and hang it. So I listened to the consumer. And what was funny was when I launched the L Effect tanning mousse, I had so many people come to me about stocking the brand, amazing wholesalers, like, you know, like yeah, yeah. Over, like the big guys, you know. And I actually said no because I wanted to sit on my product myself for at least six to 12 months to learn from the consumer what they wanted and what I could change and what I could make better. And the funny thing was it was never the formula of the L Effect tanning mousse. It was little things. It was like the instructions on the back of the bottle. It was the thumb hole in the um, mitt. So I knew early on that my formula was the best formula. It was all of the other bits and bobs that go along with it to make it the best. So you've got the top funnel. That's Mm -hmm. your Instagram. Mm -hmm. And uh, how do you get them down into the bottom funnel? The bottom funnel where they buy it? Yeah. Um, I so, think, how, I mean, do you sorry, Are you analysing mm-hmm. the data, or what, what are you doing? Are you when you see someone come to the top, and you, you because the data analytics tell you that, and you then hit them back with something else, or you start sending them ads, or what are you doing? Yeah, I think with what I've noticed is L Ferguson is still is the machine, you know, and the L Effect is a new brand. So, do you run them as two different Instagrams? Yes, yep. I do, and they I've, just over the last six months, I've really had them talking to each other. When I launched, I had them as completely different individuals. Yes, um, L Ferguson always wears the L Effect tanning mousse, but she wasn't necessarily kind of like saying it all the time. Do you mm. know, I wasn't brainwashing yep. and I wasn't... Consist- wasn't selling hard. No, and I don't know. It's a funny thing. I don't know if I was looking at it because I own that brand. I wasn't. Do you know? And I kind mm. of was like, I need to keep the two separate, the two separate identities. But over the last six months, I've seen such growth in having L Ferguson 
every touch point I talk about the L effect in, and I really am driving that brand and the growth has been like unbelievable. So will you, will you just keep L, L Ferguson or will you keep L effect as well? I'll keep both a hundred percent because I like the fact that the L effect brand, that DNA is slightly different to the L Ferguson, you know, like, I mean, just being black and white, every photo that sits on L effect has a white border around it. Every sixth photo is one of my fun stickers that you get in the tan kit. There, so there are certain things, there is rules and boundaries that I've made for myself on L effect that I don't have for L Ferguson. L Ferguson is extremely organic. It's in real time. It's what's happening in my life where L effect is a business. Yeah. I'm here to sell. So, yeah. okay. So can I ask you this question? Yes. When one of the light bulbs went off, when you were getting paid to, as an influencer, to sell someone else's product and you saw, uh, had an insight into how many products I was selling, can you now say that you are doing it for yourself the way you wanted to do it? Are you getting yeah. the sorts of sales yeah. you want to get? Yeah, 100%. So are you selling globally? Oh, yes. Yeah. 100%. From day dot, I sold globally. Yep. Um, and I think that's true because the L Ferguson brand sells globally. I work with global brands all the time. So, yes, the L Effect sells globally. Um, and one of the one of the big things that I've loved with the learnings with the L Effect Instagram is that I people trust people. So if Betty at Bankstown buys my tan and she posts it in her stories, I always repost her story. Right. I ask her, did she love it? And then I get some feedback. Then I post her feedback. I now turn those quotes into tiles on my grid yep. because I see the sales from real people. Real people trust real, real people. Mm. I was lucky enough when I launched the Elephant, Kim Kardashian bought a tan. She posted it on Instagram. My sales went that through helps. the yeah, sales went through the roof. But you know what? I get just as many sales from Betty at Bankstown. It's really interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, I dare say you are an Instagram expert. So, like, I mean, people get on Instagram, they're not really experts. They don't really know how to run mm-hmm. or how to milk Instagram mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the nicest possible way, I'm mm-hmm. use that word, yeah. to the uh, the best effect of what they're selling rela- in relation to the community. Yep. And that sounds to me like it's a, it, you you do that. And do you have other people now helping? Because, I mean, I can't imagine you're doing everything yourself no, these all, days. No, I, I, Instagram is social... Is all me. All you. Yeah. And what I realized was about, oh, goodness, eight months ago, I kind of looked for help with support, with um, content creation, and also just, you know, just help with Instagram and the social platforms. But I realized the success is me. Do you know what I mean? And right now that brand- It's hard to hand it off. Yeah, but it's also so young. Elle Effect right now is so young and she's so- um, you know, like vulnerable, that that DNA and that brand that I've created with Elle Ferguson that's taken six years, Elle Effect needs to stand on her own. And right now it's too junior. And I mean, I gave a girl that came and kind of interned with me a chance to, you know, I, I, I gave her examples of of content. I said the colours we use, these are the words, we our, our, our focus words that we use. And then she came back with something so wrong that I actually sat down with her and I said, how did you interpret my brand as this? Why did you take the photo like this? And it was a real learning curve for both of us because I realised like that is mine and that baby and people are buying into that because it's me and it's my story and it's and it's the best product because it's mine. There's nobody else. Yeah, so, so and I, I get it because you've got to be able to get – it's hard for people to speak in your voice. Yeah. It's really hard. I'm lucky. Yeah. I've got Lockie over here who's my intern. And, Lockie's uh, going to come hang out with that, the that, but, 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 but Lockie has got my voice. Um, yeah. And, uh, and and I don't know how he did it. He's only young. He's only been around a little while. So, But he's got my voice. And, uh, I mean, I'm always looking, overlooking, and he yeah. always checks everything with me. 
but it's a difficult thing to transfer your own voice across to somebody else. Yeah. Ella, I, I could talk to you for ages about this, but I, I, and because I mean, I'm actually um, totally intrigued about the whole, all the mediums. I mean, we call them social mediums, but it's not really social. They're called social mediums. This is really business mediums. It's business. And yeah. when you realise, I think there's a lot of brands out there. I mean, I do a lot of seminars where I speak about, you know, my journey and my businesses, but it's it's a business. It's work. So what you put in is what you get out. So when I got on the train, I knew if I got on the train and went to school in Sydney, I probably had a better chance, a better future than staying on the coast and becoming a hairdresser. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but for me, I had bigger dreams. So I think when I look at that Instagram, the consistency and the quality are all things that I'm putting into it and the results are in the sales. Well, look, I want to thank you for coming in. And I, look, what we've got here is and like, I just want to summarize this because it's really important before I give you an opportunity to ask me a question, if you have one, oh, wow. um, we have a, a, a young girl when she's, a, you know, in a, just become a teenager going to school from Terrigal to Sydney every day and, and you know, had to compete to get into a particular school. Then she goes off and does university and then she goes off and works in various other places like general pen center. And she builds up a whole lot of skills. And then she gets onto this Instagram thing, which is a real massive rising tide. Five years ago, that's when Instagram was, six years ago was when it was a rising tide. And what's great about this is you've actually turned yourself from being an influencer, and there's nothing wrong with just being an influencer, but you've turned yourself from being an influencer to being a business. And not only are you in the business of influencing, but you're in the business of influencing people to buy your own brand, your own product. I think it's a great story, and I dare say you're doing well. So that's sustainable. That makes that product sustainable. I can't see tanning products or fake tan products, whatever they're called, um, how it was best described, going out of fashion either. It's because people are always going to want to have a tan. Well, it's sun safety as well. We actually haven't yeah. touched on that, but a whole big thing for me is sun Stay safety. Stay out of the sun, yeah. Yeah. Although most people around the world think Aussies are in the sun all the time riding a surfboard. I and, can uh, I tell you, I haven't laid out for 15, 16, 17 years. Yeah, so, but you always look like you've got a tan. Exactly. So it's And it's quite a, I, I think it's quite a sustainable product range. I'm not talking about just your, your products, but that whole area of anything to do with aesthetics, particularly, like, you know, sparkling white teeth and, yeah. um, you know, what you're doing with the tans, that, that to me seems to be a new era today. I mean, 25 years ago, no one would ever talked about it. No. And I also, I remember reading an article about during the financial crisis, women always buy red lipstick when the money, like when money gets hard, they always buy a red lipstick. And I thought to myself, they're not buying the denim shorts, they're buying the lipstick. So they're buying the tan, they're buying the beauty that it never goes out of fashion. I was talking to a winemaker yesterday in Adelaide and he told me that when the recession comes in, in Australia, when they come, and he's been through a few, he said to me, people stop going out and go and buy themselves a bottle of wine. In fact, he makes more money during a recession than he does during good times. And he just has to make sure that the, pr the, the price and the product is appropriate for the people who are buying the wine, in other words, price-wise. Yeah. So, Elle, do you have any question for me? Because I'm been sitting here asking you all the yes, questions. Yes, I've have got one? so many. No, I've got two because I found it really interesting. I was looking at your Instagram yesterday and I was reading some of your quotes and you were saying you shouldn't care how people th feel. Like there was one, I screenshot it actually, about you shouldn't, on your rise up, you shouldn't care. It was like you actually said the F word, which I'm not going to say because it doesn't go with my brand. But you said don't give hmm. the F-U-C-Ks. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Um, well, I'm extremely focused mm -hmm. and I take them. And people want to know what works for me. It doesn't work for everybody. Um, and that's why I swear, but I swear all the time. But then I've I'm, I'm got to be true to myself. That's how I speak. Yeah. And this is my podcast now that I can say what I like, I guess. But And that's and it's my Instagram, so I can say, yes. say what I like. And, and I mean, it has created somewhat of a controversy amongst a lot of people. 
it's amazing the number of people who sort of want to have a crack at me about how I speak, mm-hmm. but in, in, which all that does is make you speak more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but in terms of when you say rise up, what you're talking about here is in your career path or your business path, mm-hmm. um, do you worry about sensitive people? Mm-hmm. My, my view on that in the world is no. Yeah. I'm not going to worry about them. Yeah. I'm not going to offend them. No. I'm not going to go my way to offend people. But at the same time, my style of doing business, there is no room for me to play, especially when we're talking about startup businesses, there's no room for me to play out my time with sensitive people. If they don't like it, they can leave. Yeah. Or they can change. Yeah. One of the two. They have to be part of what I'm doing. Yeah. And and I guess what I'm looking for is resilient people to the extent that people don't sit around where I where I feel they're needy and I have to try and lift them up all the time. Now, it doesn't mean I don't go around and give someone a pat on the back. Their, no. their mum might have died or dad, something's happened or they've had a disaster or they've had a bad week. I mean, I do do that. And, and to me, staff, to the extent that I deal with staff, um, I feel like I'm a, I have to be like a parent to them. Yeah. It's parenting to some extent. Now, I'm a much further generation than you are, and that's part of my generation. And my generation's style of parenting is soft and hard. It's never, I'm never in the middle. I'm never, oh, man, you know, I'm, no. I'm, listen, mate, time to get out of bed, put your, put your clothes on, <laughs> put your shoes on, polish your shoes, get your bag packed and get down the bloody bus stop and catch the bus. Dad, I've had a bad day. Oh, come here, mate. No drama. You all right? I'll give you a hug. Hard yeah. and soft. Yeah. There was never anything in between. No. It was one or the other. Yeah. And I'm the same with that in my business. Work. I'm running my businesses. If it's a startup, I don't have time to be in the middle. And middle gets nothing for me. I, I will be hard, but equally I'm going to be gentle too. I like too. that, that the middle That's my change. game. Yeah. That's the only way I know it works. I, I, I'm not about to start changing my personality and my character. And it's worked for me in other businesses. Um, you know, some people, it doesn't work for some people. They don't survive in my environment. I respect that. They want to go somewhere else where it's a lot more, more touchy-feely. That's cool. And there is a generation of people, by the way, around your age group who are coming through like that. Yeah who don't really like to be confronted. But equally what I'm finding is there are people, and Lockie's a good example here, you know, there are people who actually respond to that. Young people in your generation respond oh, to that. Yeah. So, you know what, I like that. Yeah. It's you know, and, uh, and it comes from how he's been read. Uh, and uh, I don't need everybody to be happy. I just yeah. need to have a good little team around me. Yeah, they'll and, lift you up. Correct. And, and we all work with each other. But that's what I mean by that. And, and, uh, and I do say the reason I use swear words, and in particular the word fuck, is because it gets attention. Yeah, no, it, it got mine. I yeah. was scrolling through and that's the one that jumped out to me. Yeah, I, I use it a lot because it just gets attention. And uh, and you know as well as I do, to some extent, um, you've got to cut through. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I wore the uh, denim shorts to the opera house. I cut through. Well, there you go. See, I can't do that sort of stuff. I'm not going to run around my shirt off. Can and I, I wouldn't ask do one more anything. question? Yes, go for I it. I remember watching your show and you helped a hairdresser's, the yep. mentor. You helped a hairdresser. And it was all actually about social media. Yep. You, um, they didn't have a social media presence. Correct. They, they didn't, the branding was very, like, I, I, it yep. stuck with me that one Angio episode. Hair. Angio Hair. Angio had the pimble up and in New South Wales. Yeah. yes, because I went past it on the, yep. on the way to the Central Coast. Um. But it really, it was one that stood out to me because you were somebody within the industry that acknowledged social media and the power that it had. And I am interested to know from you, do you find that a lot of people within your kind of, you know, environment still 
frown upon social media or are they kind of picking it up now and going with it? What, what well, you... it's certainly my generation, um, people, a lot of people who I know don't see social media as being anything other than social. They don't yeah. understand it's a, a business platform. They don't have understand that this basically that screen is your, your TV screen, you're advertising to people because mainly these individuals, they don't have any social media. Yeah. They hear a Facebook and they frown upon it and they just think it's about people walking around, you know, taking photos, taking photos of a pizza or something like that. And, uh, Therefore, they don't understand it and to a large extent is ignorance. So a lot of people in my generation just don't get it. Yeah. And they haven't realized that people in your generation don't even watch TV screens. You watch other screens. Yeah. In fact, you don't, probably don't even watch uh, laptops anymore. You're, you know, just to a large extent, you're looking at your, your handheld. So it, there is a – and I've always been – I love technology and I'm always someone who's always watching how technology changes. So I have an interest in this uh, as just as an individual. So that helps so is me. is that what made you kind of go, there's change happening, I need to learn about this Correct. change, I need to be part of this change? Correct. I mean, yeah. I like to read about technology and I like to keep up with technology. Just you talked about earlier about Blackberries. I was a chairman of the company that designed the Blackberry. Bring so the BlackBerry back, Please, so uh, bring it well back. the screen's too small as you know, but <laughs> but and we did tr- and they did try to relaunch the BlackBerry um, in Australia, and I actually did the launch for them in in a, in the Apprentice series um, because I I quite did like the BlackBerry too. So yeah. I have a long history in technology, and you know in, in the end we we designed the Razor, the original Razor, if you yeah. remember the Nokia Razor. Yeah, we ha- I've had a lot of experience in um, you know handheld and uh, mobile phones, so I love it. It's an area I love. L Ferguson, this has been fantastic. I really enjoyed myself today um, and good luck. And I, I'm so happy to hear there's an Aussie girl who's smashing it overseas, particularly here as well, but smashing Thanks. it overseas and taking the Australian brand and expressing it in a good way. Yes. And if you do The Apprentice again, please take me. You betcha. That's my last words. Please take me. Please take me. Cool. <laughs> See you. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.